The psychedelic revolution is here. If you want to integrate your visionary experiences into your purpose, get clear on your entrepreneurial path and help people while you do what you love, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to The Psychedelic Entrepreneur, medicine for these times. I'm your host, Beth Weinstein. I'm a spiritual business coach, three-time entrepreneur, and a lifelong student of psychedelics and sacred plant medicines. You carry your own unique medicine, and your medicine is what we need for these times. This podcast will help you to share your medicine so you can create transformation in the world. Listen in on conversations with psychedelic leaders, changemakers, and conscious entrepreneurs who are living proof that a better world is possible when you follow your heart and live in alignment with your soul. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Today, I am so honored to have my friend Joelle back with us for another interview. Hi, Joelle. Thanks for being here. Hello. Thanks for having me, Beth. So good to see you. And it's so good to meet in real life and hang out just a few weeks back in uh, psychedelic science. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was fun. So, yeah, it was always it's always good to see everyone from the uh, that we always just see online, you know, in flesh and get to have big hugs and big celebrations. So good and so good. So if you don't know Joelle, Joelle Briere is the founder and CEO of the psychedelic wellness companies. Cavalia Collective and Tandava Retreats, as well as the co-founder of the 5MEO DMT education and training platform called Five, that's F-I-V-E. Joelle has been a leader in the modern psychedelic movement for years, specifically in the realm of 5MEO DMT, and has spent years helping to create safe and effective protocols around this molecule. With a passion for preparation and integration, Joelle and his team are involved in everything from clinical research and trainings to experiential retreats in Mexico and in Jamaica. And you can check out his links right here below this interview. Um, Joelle, I always love to hear um, just kind of like the condensed version of how did you end up, you know, living in Mexico, running this retreat center, working with something like the, the most powerful medicine, I believe, on planet Earth, 5-MEO DMT, you know, what brought you here on your soul's path? Ooh, thank you. Thank you. Um, a whole lot of things, but I would say, you know, I had, a, I had a thirst and a deep appetite for psychedelics as a teenager and coming up, you know, in the nineties and, um, and then, you know, later kind of really found my growth through yoga and meditation, in the Eastern lenses, and then was reintroduced to medicines and psychedelics, uh, in the mid two thousands. And, Ever since then, you know, I got to just travel around the world and study under amazing teachers and um, practice and learn from beautiful souls. Um, you know, my background is in hospitality and uh, teaching yoga and meditation. So two things you can do anywhere. So I bartended my way around the world. And, uh, you know, everywhere I was, I would teach yoga and teach meditation and get to study and learn. Uh, began serving medicines around 2013. Um, and around 2015, 2016, started moving towards 5-MeO-DMT as it's the deepest and dearest uh, entheogen and molecule to my heart, I would say. Uh, its ability to produce an experience that allows us to remember our true wholeness, you know, in a time like this, that's, uh, that's the medicine for, this, for these days. Um, you know, and as I had said, I have a background in hospitality. One of the things that always made me feel whole and really warms my heart is caring for people and uh 
you know, started waiting tables and then bartended for quite a long time. That was in craft cocktails and mixology and all that fun stuff. But really what it boiled down to was creating spaces for people to enter in a di- into a different realm and, uh, and enter into expanded states of consciousness. And so, you know, everyone on our team all come from hospitality pretty much. And I started hosting retreats probably around 2011. Um, back then there were yoga and meditation and breath work. Um, and they evolved, uh, started, you know, introducing uh, medicines in there. But, you know, here we are at the flagship center for Tandava here in Tepoztlan, Mexico. And uh, it's absolutely wonderful. We get to offer these retreats that are working with the most powerful molecule in the world and taking on brave souls who are, some are in deep healing processes, some are more on journeys of self-introspection. But, uh, you know, during that whole process, I somehow default became an entrepreneur and a businessman and had to learn that world. And that's been its own its own uh, adventure and medicine experience in of itself. Yeah. Yeah, I want to talk about the retreats and running a business because, of course, there's so many people that dream of having a retreat center one day. But I, I do want to address something you said because, and I know I've asked you these questions before because I'm always so curious around about 5-MeO-DMT. To me, you know, it's one of the more mystical experiences one can have. It's pretty intense. It's very deep. And like you said, it's this medicine for these times, which, by the way, is the tagline of my podcast. Um, And also switching to the new title. But, you know, what is it about DMT? And, And what, you know, do you feel like it really is for everybody like what if the whole planet did it do you think we'd maybe figure things out a little bit but you know like what is it with dmt it's a good question and you know with both dmt and 5meo dmt being two of the most interesting molecules out there and both being endogenous to the human body as well there is something about those states that we can enter on those two experiences that is uh quite potent and quite for these times as we said that being said, I would, on one hand, I would say it is every human's birthright to have the experience that we can go to um, in the peak of 5-MeO-DMT sometimes, that pure, non-dual mystical experience. That being said, not everyone is in a place right now where that is the most appropriate um, next step. In some cases, it could be highly destabilizing, uh, highly traumatizing. Um, and so understanding when is appropriate for whom and at what times um, is definitely a factor. But I would, again, go back to I feel it's everyone's birthright to have that experience. But luckily, that experience can also be had through deep states of meditation and many other uh, modalities that lead us to that deep stillness. So incredible. But it just takes a lot longer. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, well, let's see. If you've Three got a few years decades of- to hang yeah. out in the cave. Three years in a cave meditating straight or, you know, a quick hour long session. Um, But, you know, I'm curious about this because it seems like there's a growing popularity. And, you know, just for anybody who's listening, who's maybe new to this, um, can you talk about, you know, the the kind of 5-MeO-DMT that you work with there at your retreat center versus, um, you know, other options and like why one versus another? And of course, there's been some Mm -hmm. controversy over the um, bufo avarius toad medicine and endangered and maybe over harvested yeah i just want to clarify a little of that first yeah thank you you know the 
the form we generally work with here at the center is synthetic 5-MeO-DMT, um, pure, made from a laboratory. Um, we utilize that for its dosage specificity, for its safety profile, for its ethical reasons, as we're not having to harm another animal. Um, as people may know, one of its very popular forms is in the secretion of the bufo avarius toad. Um, however, yes, the bufo toad is being over-harvested. It's being harmed. People are spreading chytrus fungus amongst the toad populations. Toads are being removed from their homes and put in captive. And uh, just a lot of um, unfortunate examples of the natural human mentality to go towards an extractive mindset. And we found something valuable. We found something beautiful in this experience. And so because we have an affinity towards that, our minds may allow us to bypass some of the implications um of that extractive process and you know it's come to a bit of an unfortunate situation and yeah there is a lot of controversy around it um we like to stay out of controversy as much as possible these days but i would say it is our opinion that the natural caretakers of the bufo secretion should be the tribes of the sonoran desert um the comcac nation the seri tribe you know the uh, the yaki these tribes um you know we're getting to watch beautiful new traditions being formed within indigenous tribes that have been in a very affected part of the world. Um, and, you know, these tribes have been most of them suffering since the Spaniards came here to colonize. Uh, and so in, in many ways, I feel it's very, very beautiful that in such an affected part of the world, they are regaining access to direct experience of, uh, of great spirit, you know, so to say. And at the same time, if we can work through and understand and bring light to the shadow side of our extractive mindset and understand how to create systems and or protocols and or ways of thinking that can allow best practices and ethics to come to surface and to really um, have a strong presence then I think there can be a beautiful balance to be found there. But I think if people want to get their bufo kicks, go to the desert and uh, go to the home of the toad. And uh, yeah, um, we work with synthetic again. It's just far safer and it's we, it's ethical concerns. And um, there was another part to that question. Is it which the I've same? Spaced on. Do you get the same experience or somewhat similar? Absolutely. Uh, we get the exact same experience. You know, we served both for years and we've served many people who have only done Bufo and then have had this and reported that it's the same experience. And of course, there's a lot of people that will say different. But what I will say to that is the mind is a powerful, powerful agent. And we cannot underestimate our ability to succumb to cognitive bias. And if I am identifying as a spiritual man who engages in natural practices, and of course, I'm drawn to natural things rather than synthetic, then of course, and I've been maintaining an argument for years on Facebook forums about how it's the only real way to do it, then of course I may experience in my subjective way slightly differently with synthetic. But again, the mind is a powerful agent and, uh, and our subjective reality is, is always highly affected by our own uh, subjective belief structure. And so, uh, so again, I wouldn't say that it's like, it's not like we are just think all things should be synthetic, but we feel that, uh, you know, when we get down to the essence of core of anything, there's going to be paradoxes. If you look into the guts of physical reality deep enough, things cease to become solid. If you look into the most deepest of spiritual teachings, 
paradoxes reign supreme. You know, um, uh, wow, 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 what's his, um, oh, I just completely, oh, Nirsagardatta Maharajji, a great Vedanta teacher from India, said, knowledge is knowing I'm everything, wisdom is knowing I'm nothing, and in between the two, my life shall dance. And so embracing these paradoxes as we, you know, slip into these non-dual ways of thinking is something that can come right along with 5-MEO. And I think that it invites us to embrace these paradoxes and say, okay, maybe when we try to say things like only natural, it's not exactly, we, we just can't use blanket statements. That was off a little bit of a tangent, but oh, I, uh, I think it's relevant. <laughs> it's very, you know, it's very relevant because I've actually had this discussion. It's It's been coming up, obviously, more and more. I'm sure it came up, but, you know, we just went to the world's largest psychedelic conference yet. And, um, you know, there's a lot of these kind of uh, dual ways of thinking within the psychedelic space. And, um, you know, just this kind of argument over, like, the direction things are going and the extractive practices and how do we try to you know, provide healing and growth and, uh, you know, this expansion for planet Earth and without, you know, maybe extracting all the resources. Because this is the same thing that comes up with iboga, with ayahuasca, you know. And there's if there's another way that's just as effective and just as healing and powerful, then, you know, why not? But I'm glad you spoke about that. And it is interesting Mm -hmm. that it's brought back to the original medicine of the 5-MEO itself. So (laughs) (laughs) exactly. let's let's go into, um, you know, the retreat center business. So Mm -hmm. I I asked Joel right before we came on a camera here about, um, you know, I'm trying to be out there in this psychedelic space and be on my path and come to terms with the fact that we are now in a place where the psychedelics world is, it's a business, you know, there's businesses all over the place, whether people want to realize it or not. And I, I made a joke about um, running ads for an ayahuasca retreat center because I'm now getting Facebook ads and Instagram ads trying to get me to go on some ayahuasca retreat in Peru and a place that I've never been to. And, you know, who's to say what's right or wrong, but it really has made me think like, is this just business as, as usual, you know? And, and let's talk about it. What are your views on that? Because there is a reality running a retreat center is no joke. And mm-hmm. some people complain like, oh, retreats are so expensive and these medicines should be free and these medicines are so cheap. But, you know, what do you say when you hear, I'm sure you hear some crit- critiques once in a while or feedback around the, the money piece. Absolutely. And I think, you know, at the foundation of that, I think there is this core belief that society has, particularly spiritual communities, have around the archetype of the wounded healer. Um, you know, the Mother Teresa aspect to where we, to be of service, we need to give every bit of ourself and to wither away in service. And I think that's always done a bit of a disservice to those who would otherwise be able to be of service. And then as we moved into this modern era of psychedelics and medicine, there was this, oh, well, these shouldn't be, you know, these shouldn't cost money. These should be for free. You know, traditionally in the jungle, the curandero didn't charge. Yes, traditionally in the jungle, the curandero was supported by the village. The curandero did not have to worry about where his food was going to come from, where how his children were going to survive. And then to take it even further, we live in a modern day and we cannot attempt to to bring a very different way of thinking into this. That is not to say to just completely drown it in a Western economic business mindset, but to also not be naive to 
how this works. If we just want to give people drugs and have them have an experience, then hey, give it away for free. You know, if you're forging yourself, is that the safest and most ethical way for these things to go about? No. Generally, we need to learn our craft. We need to understand different modalities that can allow these medicine experiences to be relevant if we're to be of service. Someone taking their own medicines by themselves, that's one thing in their own practice. I mean, most of us came up that way. But people now who are approaching these for mental health, this is a very different paradigm. And very relevant skill sets are needed. And to gain these skill sets, time and study is needed. And furthermore, one needs to really devote themselves full time, not just have this as a side gig where they are able to devote a small fraction of their awareness. We need to bring back the idea of mastery. These are some of the most sensitive and vulnerable and expanded states a human can go into. So let's take it seriously. So when people bring up the money aspect or the business aspect, it's always good to remind of what it's really taking for this to makes sense in the modern paradigm of psychedelic wellness, that it's not just about taking a substance that can be forged for free or created cheaply, that it is about a container that is created to facilitate healing and growth and expansion. And that's not how these were used traditionally. They were traditionally used in an intertribal way for communion with community and with spirit. And it wasn't something where a container needed to be created because this was something so far out of a person's philosophical realm or just their modus of operandi. It's, uh, it's a whole different game. So I think understanding and respecting the fact that we are in a different paradigm, so a new paradigm must emerge to suit it. And I think we in the business space of wellness are in a great position to lead by example and shift how business is done. I think we are in a a position to lead by example and show how collaboration can still lead to growth and show how finding solutions and other routes rather than extractive practices and instead enriching and pollinating surrounding communities can still lead to scalable growth in large organizations that are very profitable. This can be done well and it can be done in a sustainable way. And so that's a lot of what I have to say, you know, to the critique, are we there yet with 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 great solutions no but let's figure it out and let's all do it together this is exciting shit you know this is exciting stuff when you think about it um and i think we're just at the beginning but of course it's going to be a teething process and of course there's going to be foxes in the hen's nest you know we we've got plenty of vultures that came from the ashes of the cannabis space to find quick payouts you know in the in the psychedelic space and luckily, most of them started shaking out, you know, within the first few years, we've seen a nice, what is it, 81% uh, drop in most stocks of pretty much all psychedelic companies. The ones who are, who are here because we believe in the cause, I believe, will be the ones that really are able to last out because we understand how these things work. We're not coming in with a naive mentality of thinking this is going to be able to turn into a, in a pharmaceutical drug that can be prescribed to millions of Americans, you know. This is not exactly how they think it's going to go down. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> I, this is so well said. It's, I literally had this conversation just a few hours ago with, um, with a client, actually, about this, this kind of like, you know, on a larger scale, this is still all very new, even though it's ancient. <clears throat> you know, this, this whole psychedelic space, this kind of industry, you know, training programs, coaching, yeah. you know venture capital coming in 
like you said, um, publicly traded stocks in the psychedelic realm, it's also new. And yeah, a lot of them have actually um, completely gone away and and already gone under, which is very interesting. Yeah. But, um, you know, I do, I love that you really mention, and I want to reiterate this, about the fact that we're, we're dealing with something that's, it's not like a, com- I always make jokes about it. It's not a commodity we're just selling on yeah. Amazon. You know, it's the human soul and psyche, and in very many cases, like deep trauma, you know, like huge experiences. And this is not just something we can lightly go into, um, which I know I think we've talked about before about, you know, maybe someone goes to a two day training and then they're like, okay, now I want to go serve uh, 5-MeO DMT to people because I did this two day long training. And I've been working with it for six months, you know, and who's to say, you know, what's right or wrong about, is it the length of time? Is it the amount of training? You know, but I love what you mentioned about mastery. And because this is, you know, it's, it's been interesting. There's been a lot of arguments over, um, you know, someone said to me, well, you know, our ancestors and ancient indigenous cultures, they didn't have training programs. They didn't like have to go to therapy school or whatever it was to serve medicines. But, you know, what do you say to that? Because you did mention, but they also it was a different context. It's a different era. Yeah, that type of that type of work was ingrained in their culture. It's part of their genetic lineage. Um, You know, curanderos and indigenous tribes were raised from birth generally or raised from early childhood. Um, many of them were lineage raised where, you know, they were they were trained by their father or their mother, you know, who was trained by their father or their mother or both, you know, et cetera. And down the line, the first curandero I studied with was back in 2001 in uh, outside of Cusco in the Andes Mountains. And, you know, this was before, you know, the big boom of ayahuasca tourism. And so there was a lot less uh, charlatanism uh, there. And, you know, he was he was in his early 90s at that time, but he had the skulls of his of his lineage um, in his hut. And, you know, you could he was trained by in a, in a very specific lineage that went on for generations and generations and generations. Um, and so it's a very different scenario. The, these are those were understandings that were passed down and were not just something they learned, but were part of their their stories, part of their culture, part of the way they were raised in every aspect and so that's why it takes so much training and so much more understanding because we're coming from, you know, speaking specifically to Westerners or coming from societies where we are raised on pathologizing and raised on a completely different way of thinking and understanding the psyche and understanding spirit and our relation with it and within it. Um, and so it's, uh, it's like, you know, saying, you know, using the argument of, well, they didn't, there weren't trainings back then. Okay. Yes. But that, in that case, those were babies who were raised by professional drivers, then being keys to drive at the appropriate time in their life where we are just learning about the car and expect to get keys to that ignition straight away. And, uh, and to be able to drive it without having any prior experience of understanding what's on that road. And so it's, uh, yeah, we're babies walking into this. We need education. We need training. We need shifting. So we don't drag our old bullshit into this. So we don't bring all the stuff that ruined everything else, quite literally, into something that could potentially save the world. <laughs> so, so true. And that I love that analogy. Very great analogy there. Um, now, this you, is interesting. You. Yeah, no, so good. And just so wise. But, you know, I want to ask you a little bit about 
the kind of people that are going into your retreats or, um, you know, working with DMT or even the people going into training, you know, I'm wondering this whole, um, you know, most of the podcasts and my psychedelic summit is about this interconnection between working with sacred medicines, working with psychedelics and finding some kind of purpose, you know, coming yeah. to alignment with your heart you know, like really listening to what's coming through you. I'm, I'm curious, you know, do you get a lot of people? I'm, I'm sure some people are there on a healing mission to deal with particular things. But do you get just kind of the average person that's like, I don't know what's what's up and I don't like my life and I want to find my purpose and I want to be fulfilled. Like, are you getting a fair amount Absolutely. of people like that? And Absolutely. can DMT help yeah. with that? Yeah. Oh, yes. You know, 5-MeO-DMT in particular is something that allows us to become acutely aware of all of our automatic patterning and conditioning, all of the areas that would hold us back from experience and feeling that true self, you know, that true center to where we can feel into our purpose. And so, so often we are bound, you know, by our conditioning. And it's generally what happened to us between when we were born and when we were seven, you know, when our brain was forming our personality that, you know, results in kind of our behavior and how we experience our life. And so addressing those different, uh, that, you know, those different automatic patternings, addressing that conditioning allows us to come in contact with the true self, with our true center. And when we can find that stillness, when we can have reliable routes, because that's all about what this, these retreats are about is not just he, not just healing and not just growth and stuff, but finding and developing a relationship with ourself, with our center. And so when we can maintain that flow, then we can know when we need to act, when we can catch the current and float. We can know what is our thinking mind, what is our, what is, you know, what part of our thoughts are speaking from fear of, you know, an experience that happened to us when we were 12. And what is intuition? We, be, we can begin to make those crucial differentiations. And it's really just an unfolding, you know, all work, you know, all healing and all therapeutic modalities are just a gradual unfolding and peeling away of all parts that are not truly us. And 5-MeO-DMT just happens to do that with great rigor and uh, veracity. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just a big unpeeling. But when it comes to finding our purpose, that's the quickest way to it that I can imagine, you know, when we can come in contact with our eminent self, with that ineffable omnipresent awareness that's behind our thoughts, when we can tap into our true essence of creation, then we can draw from that and come out here to create. And that's why I think anyone who is in, the, in, the, in an entrepreneurial flow, in a business flow, has tapped into that, that God archetype, that creation archetype, that creator you know, they are in some way tapped into their center because it's our true nature to create, to expand. So one of the questions, because I remember one of the very first friends of mine who worked with DMT so, so long ago, I remember it was like she came out of it and I saw her the next day or the two days later and it was like, oh, I was just shown my whole purpose and my life and like what I'm supposed to be doing. And I wonder, you know, supposedly people get this with mushrooms people get with this with ayahuasca you know maybe it comes through ketamine and mdma for all i know but i'm wondering you know how how often do you see that people get these maybe big visions and how how does one determine if it's you know like really coming through with their authentic mm -hmm. soul self versus 
maybe, you know, this ego part of our mind that's like, oh, I'm here to, you know, the ones that say, oh, the ayahuasca told me I'm here to serve medicine or the mushrooms told me <laughs> that I should now go be, you know, I should be giving mushrooms to others. Like, how do, yeah. how do you have people distinguish one from another. I'm so glad you asked that question. That's that's a really really good one. That um, happens all the time. <laughs> all, all the time. I, it's we always advise people to, if it is particularly if it's a message received during a medicine session, um, remember that our psyche communicates in symbolism. It's not always literal, um, and remember it's being filtered through our own egoic individual mind. And it is still, still completely um, possible that it is uh, influenced highly by our own cognitive bias. And so that's definitely how Messiah complexes and savior and healer complexes start. And people saying the medicine told me I'm supposed to serve it after their first experience. Because it's very easy for our mind to connect dots and for those dots to be heavily influenced by what we want um or what can solve a solution for us so it's always great to invite people to honor the process and then to understand that your psychedelic experience extends far beyond the actual time of you know its journey and it you know it uh precedes it you know by days or even weeks or from whenever you decided to do it and it will follow it for as long as you choose to engage in it, but there will be an, a, an unfolding there and to engage with and be present with it. We can see what parts of that process are unfoldings from the eminent self and what parts of that process are the ego creating identity out of an experience. I'm leaving some silence there because it's like that right there. This has come up so much mm -hmm. around... Um, you know, like keeping our egos in check and also being aware of, okay, there's space to integrate. There's space to allow it to, you know, like maybe it's a seed being planted. Maybe you did get the, the call to serve medicine on your very first time, but maybe it doesn't mean you need to go do it, you know, next week. Yeah. Maybe it's like, you know, one of my friends, it was like a 15-year process for her to finally get to the place of like, okay, now I'm maybe ready, you know? Exactly. Um, so I love to bring this up because we hear about it all the time. And especially as this space is getting more and more, um, you know, popular, a lot of people want to get into psychedelics. People are, um, there's, there's now more training programs, there's more opportunities. And then of course, there's been a lot of criticism over, um, you know, someone I interviewed for this, this series, you know, the training programs are a few months versus um, studying with a, an elder for 15 years. Yeah. You know, and I, I'd like to talk to you about this because I know you mm -hmm. guys offer not only retreats, but there's a training and then there's education and then you also have a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what are people coming to you for when it comes to like, let's say your training program? What is there? Is it to serve medicine or is it to be aware or what is it that people are looking to do with it? So for the training program, that is through our sister company, um, Five, Five MEO DMT Information and Vital Education. And people are taking that program to become facilitators of Five MEO DMT and to gain a very well-rounded understanding of all the facets needed to serve that molecule. And we tried to take a very well-balanced approach. You know, one, it's a longer course. Um, this one that we're currently in right now is a year course, though the uh, we are condensing it to a nine-month course for uh, next year. But 
you know, we brought on 36 or 37 additional guest teachers who are experts in their own areas to really share about all the relevant areas, you know, covering everything from pharmacology and contraindications and um, psychiatric conditions that can be exacerbated to mysticism and ritual and ceremony. Um, really trying to cover everything because, you know, the scary thing is the amount, you know, the most people serving 5-MeO-DMT don't possess anywhere near enough skill sets to safely um, help someone process this, prepare for or process this experience. Um, and, you know, it may be easy when our friends are coming to us who may be already cracked open to this type of work. But then when someone comes to us for healing, uh, it's a different story. Um, and and s- solid skill sets can be needed in situations. Um, you know, it's something we always encourage. There's options within our training to then continue on with mentorship programs. We do feel that mentorship is something extremely important and co-visibility is something extremely important. And absolutely, there is still value in mastery and studying for long periods of time with a master. Right now, it's not exactly, you know, there's some people that think that that's what everyone needs to be doing. And we need to remember that there's a lot of different ways that this medicine is being worked with right now. And this is about to go out on a large scale, whether we want it to or not, whether it's appropriate or not, whether it's the world is ready for it or not. And are we going to hold back from training people because we want to insist that everyone is an absolute master and is trained for a decade plus? No, because then the pharmaceutical industry is going to take over and people are going to be given, you know, SSRIs immediately after to help deal with any potential, you know, ups and downs of the integrative process. So let's, uh, let's remember that there is also a sense of urgency here. Let's remember that there's lots of different levels of skill sets needed. And there's a lot of people who are stepping into roles of facilitators that do have a lot of relevant skill sets, you know, such as mental health professionals who may lack in some of the understanding around the subtlety, the subtleties of this medicine, but have did, you know, devoted, you know, decades plus of their life to understanding the human process and experience and are open to shifting the ways of understanding that Western medicine is taking us. Um, So I think, Let's leave a little bit of room for all of it, as long as it's being done safely and effectively. Yeah, it's interesting. I interviewed someone a a couple months ago who said something similar around um, someone who has like an ayahuasca, you know, practitioner training down in Peru. And it's it's no joke. You know, it's pretty intense. Mm -hmm. But he said, look, you know, there's people already serving this and there's people serving it, um, you know, maybe not in the safest of ways, not in like the best of ways that could be where it's a better experience or maybe more effective or even safer. So it's kind of the same thing where it's like, well, we can like give training to make those people better at least, Mm -hmm. you know, or, um, or just let it go and like kind of be more of the wild West. So that is a great perspective because like you said, whether we like it or not, these medicines are growing in popularity. There's more and more facilitators on every corner and you know, it's, and there's also more of a, a demand and a need for people who understand the full spectrum, including the integration, including, you know, I even have clients that don't serve any medicines, but actually really have dove into other, you know, trainings like this, where they want to understand the full spectrum of the medicine experience. So, so that they can help their clients with the process, you know, like even um, ketamine, I've been hearing more and more about 
people going and working with ketamine and, you know, in these ketamine therapy or ketamine um, clinics, but there's no people that actually like are trained yeah. in like the preparation to integration. And then they're like, well, how is this much different than just, you know, going and doing any drug? Yeah. So uh, it's, it's Ex interesting this, this world. Yeah. Go on. I was just going to say, you know, I, I love to invite people with a, a very unpopular um, invitation of, uh, you know, people who do maintain like, oh, well, you know, I've studied with my teacher for 15 years before I started serving, blah, blah, blah. Like this, this is all rubbish. I uh, love to invite these family to look within and see where they may be egoically identifying to their own unique subjective experience and attempting to apply it um, in a blanket way over the populace. And then looking to see exactly with what happened with religion. We can see the pattern of the human mind. So let's let's all get a grip. <laughs> That's so I know you're right. It all comes back to this mind, right? The the yeah. ego at play and the 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 identifications and the polarization. I I know it's just so funny. And it's like and someone else said something very small and profound recently where I was like, you know what? There's so many criticisms, there's so many haters out there, especially, you know. I didn't actually experience it that bad at something like psychedelic science, but you kind of mm. got to see this, this large, you know, polarities of groups of people with different beliefs, you know, people yeah, coming yeah. from this, this walk or that walk. And of course there's so many opposing sides, but let's get a grip on the larger picture. The world is in a huge transition. Mm -hmm. People are suffering. People want help. You know, are we going to help them or not? Like, it's very simple. It's like, look at the bigger picture here, which is, you know, what I always take is this larger picture of, okay, if these medicines, yeah, maybe there's going to be some mistakes, maybe some unsafe, you know, issues. Of course, we all know there's integrity issues. There, there's, mm -hmm. It's human. Yeah. The human experience. But on a larger scale, hey, you know, my mission, if it helps awaken the human heart and have people align with what they're here to do that makes them happy, that contribute, you know, is a contribution to the the planet and the, the expansion and the healing of humanity, mm -hmm. then what's, what's wrong, you know? But, um, so I always like to look at this larger scale picture, which actually yeah. is my next question. You know, you've been in this space a long time. You're kind of one of the, the OG people. Do you, do you feel like it's going in the right direction? Like, do you see the psychedelics industry and what you've witnessed at psychedelic science? Do you have more hope? and positivity for the future? Or is it more like, I mean, I've heard so many people say, oh, the whole thing is a, a mess and it's a shit show and it's gonna, you know, implode on itself before it gets better. But, you know, what are your views on this? I think these are extremely exciting times and I think it can go any direction. Um, I think it's really up to us as, as a community um, on, how, on how it happens and that's why I think it's so important that those of us who come from this space to to get a loud voice, to learn business or whatever you need to do to present to the public something different from what they're going to be offered. Um, because we all know, again, like the, you know, the, the end of the day, the end result of psychedelic of the psychedelic renaissance is not going to be prescription MDMA pills that you take home from your doctor. You know, that's, That'll be awesome too. Don't get me wrong, but uh, but uh, you know we're in we're in a space right now to where we have a chance to address the human condition as a whole. You know, 2020 had us all have to sit, you know, with our own demons, and all of the the most ugliest sides of humanity have been coming to surface since then. 
and we have a beautiful, beautiful space to address it and to learn from it. But we've got to do it together. Um, we've got to do it recognizing and normalizing the ugliness of the human experience of how much we suppressed our own true centers for such a long time. And when the ego is allowed to run free and take the driver's seat, we've got to understand that things got messy. And now the unraveling of this messiness is going to take levels of emotional maturity um, and emotional intelligence. Um, and at the same time, not suppressing our emotions either, but finding that balance of healthy expression of our emotion with communication and moving forward together into something new. Uh, you know, people say, you know, when people say like, oh, it's all going to implode, you know, a lot of times, of course, we're looking at the business space, but I see so many different levels of the business space. Um, as I said before, those who came for the quick exits are already uh, are already feeling it. Their shareholders have had it, you know, at the end of the day, and they're, uh, you know, plenty of them are folding, plenty of them are shifting to other things. Um, and, you know, it's, we're seeing shift, but grow, you know, shift growing in every way. I think there's going to be a lot more practitioner run companies growing that are, that are operating in far more sustainable ways that are going to be leading by example. Um, and I see things getting really, really beautiful. Um, we've got some amazing plans with Tandava. Um, we've got some amazing plans with five and, uh, and we're, we're, we're taking it all the way and, um, we're, we're here for it and we're here to work together with who's ever, uh, keen to be in collaboration, who's ever got an aim on the common good. Um, because at the end of the day, we're, we're all in this together. And the moment we forget that is the moment we go right back to what it was. So, yeah. So, so good. So true. And I love that you mentioned together and, you know, this, this kind of notion that there is this, this community, you know, where, mm -hmm. where this is not just the old paradigm of get a prescription, maybe take your, your weekly MDMA and eventually you feel better. But, you know, we're all working here in relation to one another on planet yeah. Earth. And like you said, it's gotten very, you know, messy and it's, it's hairy, challenging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like people, you know, we have to figure it out somehow. And we are all in this together, whether people like to see it or not. We're all yeah. interconnected. We're all living on Earth. We're all going through whatever the same transitions and challenges. And, you know, we can't just do this the old way of doing things. You know, we have to really all um, see this bigger picture and, and stand mm -hmm. for it. Um, yeah. So, Joelle, bef before we go, I would love you to tell us what's it like? You know, I know you have a variety of retreats there, but can you walk us through like the basics? Like if I was going to come to Tanava and do one of your retreats, like what is it all about? Um, is it like get as much DMT as possible or is it like <laughs> Just crank it in? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I would say uh, our, our main focus, our main um, protocols at Tanava. Um, is an individualized approach. Our idea is to, we, you know, we don't deal with big groups. We deal with small groups. Uh, we do individualized preparation um, privately with each participant for weeks before they arrive. While you're here, everything is tailored to each person. So the idea is to allow each person to, or to facilitate a space that allows each individual and unique participant to dive into their own inner world in whatever way that means, whether it's addressing suffering and wounds and healing, whether it's introspection and exploration, um, we're here to meet each person where they're at. And we're here to create a safe and nurturing space to welcome them to these states of awareness and to help bring them back and then to help make it count. Um, so we have a very heavy focus on integration here. Uh, each participant gets their own private integration specialist that they work with for four weeks after the retreat. Um, 
while you're here on site, it's really just about all about nurturing. It's about a container that's meant to seed growth and seed expansion and to nurture that expansion. And so everything from the nature here, from the views, the scenery, the weather, the food, the staff, the, the aesthetics, everything is, is uh, created to nurture, especially the steam sauna and the hot tub. <laughs> oh, I need to come there just for that. Oh, yeah. Let me ask, like, do you ever, you know, you, you run a lot of retreats, you know, you've been doing this for years, and I know a lot of people dream of having retreat centers. I hear this all the time. <laughs> you know, I, I always wonder, like, is it is it hard? Like, do you get sick of having people in and out? Is it like, like, who is who can run a retreat center? Like, you know, you have, probably have to work really hard. I'm sure you oh, have yeah. to love being around people. Like, let's hear a little bit of the realities of like, what is it really <laughs> like to run a retreat center? It's always funny to hear when it's people's like fantasy kind of project yeah. to open a retreat center. It's one of the most emotionally draining things you can ever do in your life. Um, it's, it's, you know, first of all, unless you happen to be already financially liquid and feel like spending your own money, um, it's there's going to be a capital raise needed and raising capital is the most soul crushing, grueling work a human can engage in. It's absolutely awful. Um, and it's going to be way less successful than you think it will be. You're going to have a great idea and all your friends and family are going to tell you it's great. Everyone you know, you're going to tell the idea to, they're going to tell you it's great. And then the moment you get in front of your first investor, it will become screamingly uh, acutely aware of uh, how many holes in your plan that there are and how many things you did not think about. And, um, you know, you'll get at least a hundred no's before you get a yes, uh, in your first seed funding round. And then comes actual execution comes putting it together. You have to know your shit. You have to know what it takes to create a, a successful hospitality business, because make no mistake, a retreat center is not unique to hospitality. You know, it is not separate from hospitality. You have to have experience in hospitality and know how to run shop. And as I said, our whole team comes from high level, um, high volume hospitality. And, uh, you know, so that's how we're able to do it. Um, and it's also, I mean, you know, again, we're a practitioner run company, you know, I, I'm the CEO of the company and myself and Victoria and Victoria is like my co-founder for five. We're the main retreat leaders. Um, we hit burnout. We've hit burnout in such <laughs> extreme ways a few times that, you know, it's been a great learning process getting to understand how to regulate our nervous system, you know, how and when we need in emergency ways and how to avoid going into burnout and setting real work boundaries. You will easily find yourself working 20 hour days, seven days a week, uh, very, very quickly and, uh, and finding your health greatly affected. Um, and then, you know, there's the fact, are you going to live at your retreat center? If you're not, who's going to stay there at night while participants are there living at work takes its own toll. Living where you constantly have people at your house takes its toll. Living with people going through the deepest processes a human can go through takes an even deeper toll. You have to really love this stuff. You have to really, really be in it 150 million percent and be ready to be run down. You need to have a support system. You need to have a team, team. Forget just a support system, but a team. Don't think you can do everything yourself. Embrace help. And then you're also going to need capital to pay your help know that your retreat center won't be profitable for at least two years. Um, and you know, 95% of cases also know that at least 90% of hospitality run uh, hospitality businesses fail within the first year. Uh, also know that 
almost, I think it's 90 something percent of hospitality businesses that are open as passion projects fail. So take time to learn business. Don't just learn basics of business, but learn business, learn how to get some sharp teeth because you're going to have people as competition. And that's its own weird thing. All of a sudden having competition in this world is very, very odd. And uh, it's a weird thing. But, you know, as I said, there are very large corporate interests coming into this space that have less interest in the public's uh, best interest, not to overuse the word interest, but, uh, you know, corporations coming in that are in this for the capital, that are in this for the money and may not have understood or grasped at first that it wasn't going to be as profitable as they thought it were. And so then are diving into very shady tactics um, and a manipulative techniques. And so to not go out of business because you've got to, you're going to have to put out money to keep the lights on. You're going to have to put money into marketing. You're going to have to put money into all types of stuff you wouldn't have thought of. So if you are thinking that you want to have a retreat company, I'd say think not don't, don't just think twice, think a whole lot, speak to people that have, that run retreat companies and have run them and um, allow, allow the sparkliness of the idea to fade because that will lead you into, uh, into uh, rough places You've got you've to go into it mm, having kind of scraped away some of the naivete uh, to be able to, to do it proper. But if you're in for the challenge, it's a beautiful, beautiful adventure. Um, it's almost taken my life, but I mean, it's been the most beautiful journey of my life. I've, can't, I've, there's, I've learned more you know, about myself through this process than through any other practice. It has been psychedelic as hell but it's been rough. <laughs> Truth telling. No, it's, oh, yeah. it's true though. It's so interesting because everybody knows these stories of, um, you know, kind of maybe retreat centers are whipped together by someone who has a lot of money or someone with the yeah. wrong intentions. And the, the last thing you want to do, especially with something like DMT or ayahuasca or iboga or ibogaine is, is being something that feels unsafe or mm -hmm. feels like kind of whipped together or, um, you know, I even once went on a meditation retreat and I don't, I don't think it was their fault. I think it was just, you know, not people without experience, but it was just meditation, silent retreat, and there wasn't enough food for everybody at the meals. Oh, it was kind of crazy. It was, oh. And so it started getting like this yeah, weird energy yeah. at meals where people are like, <gasps> but we couldn't talk, you know? And it was, um, yeah. so, and that's the worst thing is to have that anxiety and feel, make people feel yeah. unsafe. And I'm sure we all know horror stories of people. I mean, I've heard horror stories of someone went out way to the middle of nowhere down in wherever the jungle mm -hmm. and then something happened. But, um, I'm so glad you tell about the realities because, you know, not to turn anybody off, but it really has to be this like soul level dedication to really mm -hmm. give your life to your, your passion when it's something as big as, you know, a retreat center that's holding this level of space for people, yeah. you know, and otherwise there's, there's other ways about it. Maybe partner. This is what I love exactly. to teach my clients. Partner with the retreat center, like partner with Joelle to run a exactly. collaborative retreat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Partnership and collaboration with people, new people coming into the space in their first few years of their kind of psychedelic journey. You know, it, you know, a lot of times there are people who come from the VC or investing space that want to open up shop or open up a retreat center. They just don't have the know-how work with people who have the know-how team up with people, you know, and, uh, and make a vision happen in collaboration because 
or else it's going to be another fancy looking hollow shell that's going to uh, have a vice article written about it, you know, expose <laughs> done about it at some point. You know? <laughs> no more vice article. Yeah, exactly. Joelle, this has been great. I would love you to share with people about what you have coming up in the next six mm-hmm. to 12 months. Um, I hope that you have one of these meditation retreats again with the oh, DMT yeah, meditation because I really want to go on one of those. Um, I just haven't. The timing keeps being off. But yeah, what do you have coming up at Tondava and and at five in the next six to 12 months? At five, we are um, are open and we have opened enrollment for our facilitator training course. Um, And so you can apply online through the website and it's five-meo.education. And then with Tondava, we've been starting to offer more specialized retreats, which are super juicy. Like you mentioned, the Bridging Heaven. Um, which was a collaboration between myself and Quilly Powers and Rak Razam and Eugene Allende. And that is a six-day silent retreat. Um, and this is for only experienced meditators and only for people who are already experienced with 5-MeO. Uh, as we are working with low doses of the medicine in com- combination with meditation. And it is a very, very, very delicious container. And uh, whoo. That's uh, it says enough for itself. We've got uh, my beautiful partner, Victoria, has an upcoming retreat next month with Dr. Holly Richmond for female survivors of sexual trauma. And we're going to be offering a bit more of those, really focusing in on creating a very safe space for women to address their, their, their trauma in a very, very safe and nurturing way with a very powerful tool for cathartic release, such as 5-MEO. We have another one um, teamed up with a sexual and relationship therapist as well, Dr. Holly Richmond, for couples, where we're going to be doing workshops with couples' practices, and they'll have homework they can take to the bedroom at night and all types of fun, taboo stuff like that. Um, the retreat container itself is uh, is not uh, – you don't worry. It's not too crazy. We're not getting uh, having orgies or anything like that, but there is a – you know, there's your healthy balance of uh, – of practices that we do during the workshop time and then homework couples are given. And uh, we're looking forward to doing a lot more like that. There's another one that we're really excited about called Returning to Wholeness. Uh, That's myself and uh, Charlotte from the Liberation Training, Charlotte James, as well as John Quest and uh, Butterfly. And that is a, a, a more than just a retreat. We're actually making a bit more of a community movement around that, but it's all around identity based trauma. Uh, mainly for uh, BIPOC family. Um, and so this is retreats, um, different workshops, all activities focused around this community space. And so, yeah, we're really excited around kind of focusing on more niche specialized retreats as, you know, the healing is great, but let's not forget about the exploration. Let's not forget about, you know, using these powerful tools of psychedelics to tap into our innate passions and gifts. Mm. Ah, oh, this is so beautiful. And yeah, this is, um, I'm so excited to hear about this because I've had a lot of clients go into, you know, these specialties of psychedelic integration, focusing on s- sexual trauma or yeah. you know, sexual healing or couples work. And this is incredible. Joelle, mm-hmm. we are going to have all your links right here below this interview. So everybody can check you out and check out the five MEO education website, which by the way, is incredible. Finally, Someone's put together a really good resource. (laughs) Please don't just go, because I, you know, back in the old days, it was like, just go look on YouTube and then get scared. You know, it was like, there was never good information. So 
<laughs> so glad you guys put that together. Thank you so much for being here and sharing Thank your you. unique medicine with the world. Mm, so important. Thanks for having me, Beth. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're feeling inspired, I'd appreciate it if you showed your love with a review. And check out my YouTube channel where you can find the video version of this podcast. You can also head to BethAWeinstein.com to learn more about me and grab my free business growth trainings. Remember, you carry your own unique medicine and your medicine is what we need for these times. <laughs>